You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Hey, great to be with you guys today. And if you're a spiritual investigator, a guest, or new to uh, biblical spirituality, then some of this is going to seem a little weird to you because we're in conversation about spiritual warfare, but uh, hang with us, put your seatbelt on. We're going to look at a pesky spirit today called the self-hatred spirit, and we see it all throughout our culture in the world of music. Some of you are children of the 90s, you know, maybe you remember Nirvana, and they had this real pick-me-up of a song, I Hate Myself and Want to Die. That's a real encourager for you today. And then there's uh, Kelly Clarkson's song, I Hate Myself for Losing You, and uh, Leanne Womack saying, I may help hate myself in the morning, but I'm going to love you tonight. Anybody ever done that one? Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know, okay? But uh, then... Uh, another one is Beck, you know, I think he's kind of a clever, creative guy, and he had that song, Loser, you know, Soy Umpedido, I'm a loser baby, so why don't you kill me? And they had to put that one on K-Love, because it's positive and encouraging, isn't it? Um, and look, I get that most artists, uh, musically, they're not like trying to get people to harm themselves or, you know, hate themselves, but really, they're, a lot of times, they're just kind of writing about and singing about raw emotions, and we can handle that, but here's where we have to be careful is that our brains are wired in such a way that we embrace brief microscripts. And so if you're just walking through a public place and you're hearing like a playlist, someone's Spotify playlist of random songs, and you don't know the context of a song, and that little script, I'm a loser, baby, why don't you kill me, lodges in your mind, or I hate myself and want to die, that's when you're going to have a problem. And I think about when I was younger, um, that I, you know, felt kind of, you know, like you do when you're younger, you're self-conscious is the way I would say it. And I remember this little girl pointed up at my head and my face, and she, she was talking about how bushy my eyebrows are. And she said, there are caterpillars on your forehead, you know? And I'm kind of like, all right, man, awesome. I just, I always wanted to hear that. Um, and then uh, the, my college roommate, he was an encourager, and he was pointing out how bowed my legs are, and he's like, I'm gonna call, start calling you parentheses legs, you know, because your legs are so, so bowed. Now, now, younger me would have felt more self-conscious of that, but it's like, now, you know, don't take myself so seriously, but I want you to think just for a minute, what are those things about you? Maybe it's physically, or maybe it's something from your past that could cause you to hate something about yourself. You know, a lot of us are getting into middle age and it's like, man, the dad bod and the love handles aren't so great, but I'm just embracing it, you know? <laughs> then maybe some of you ladies are like uh, kind of in your 50s now or whatever and like you're going through the change, you know, the menopause change. You're like, I hate those hot flashes or maybe you're older person and if you're, you know, by the way, here's how we gauge older people. Anybody who's older than me is old, okay? That's the way it works, and because uh, I'm still young, but maybe like your body is is, you know, betraying you, and it's got all these aches and pains and stuff, and you feel put out to pasture, like your usefulness is over, or maybe those of you that are younger. You are getting acne now. The zits pop up, you know, and no matter how much you try and scrub them off. They keep coming back at you. Um, what is it about your life that the enemy could use to get you to hate yourself? 
your parents or uh, whatever. And what I want you to know is we've got two different enemies that are trying to focus on our physical imperfections as well as our spiritual imperfections. Now, when I give any talk where I mention the, con- the biblical New Testament concept of the flesh, I'll bring this little prop. I've done it for years, and I call this the Doug head, but it just basically represents the flesh that the Bible calls our old sinful nature or those old brain mapping patterns inside that kind of uh, lead me towards sin or, you know, would influence me towards sin. You know, a lot of times I would love to blame a demon on everything, but a lot of the time there's an enemy that I have that looks a whole lot like me, you know? And so this is the enemy from within. This is the enemy from without, outside. The demon is going to speak lies, shoot thoughts into your minds to get you to feel bad about yourself. It's going to focus on your weight problem or your lack of weight, your intellect, your past problems, and rub your nose in your past sins. See? Say, how could you call yourself a believer after what you've done? This one operates in shame and guilt. Gets you in that shame spiral. By the way, we're trying to overcome shame here at City Tribe Church. That's why our logo is the eagle. Some of you are like, what's that eagle all about when I come up here? Well, we read this little book some years ago by Rick Joyner. It's called The Final Quest. And in that book, he pictures the spiritual journey as like a trek up a mountain. And in the little book, you'll see these people have these snakes like anacondas wrapped around their ankles that are holding them down. They can't move forward. Well, in the little book, the eagles come down off the mountain and they eat the snakes that represent shame. They eat the snakes. It frees people up to walk and move forward in their spiritual journey. And that's what we're endeavoring to do here at City Tribe Church is we want to be the eagles that are eating shame so that people can move forward in their lives. And so what do you say? We stand together for the reading of God's word and we'll see a shame-eating text in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. It says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as who? Yourself. So certain level, we're supposed to love ourselves. And now change channels to Romans eight thirty-eight. Paul says, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of what? Hell can separate us from God's love. And so when the thoughts of self-hatred enter into your mind, they are the thoughts of hell. And so I want to teach you today is how to get the hell out. See, how to get literally, I'm not trying to be edgy in saying that. I literally mean you want to get the thoughts of hell out of your mind. So could we make that declaration together today when I point to you? Are you ready? Get the hell out, okay? Now, I would have you turn to your neighbor and tell him that, but I don't think that's a very good idea today. Uh, so anyways, you guys go ahead and take a seat, and I'm going to show you four different ways that we can literally get the hell out of our minds uh, through the Scriptures. Now, number one is watch for the indicators 
of self-hatred, the indicators. There are always these indicators. I learned about this from a guy named Art Matthias. He wrote a book called Biblical Foundations for Freedom. Not a real wildly popular book um, or not well-known, but potent nonetheless. And he says that one of the indicators is self-pity. Have you ever known someone that was always having a pity party about their problems or about what's been done to them. They, they bring upon themselves a victim spirit. Now, when I talk about this, I'm not saying we shouldn't bring up our past things in therapy or at Cultivate to deal with them. But what I am saying is some people wallow in it and receive their victimhood as an identity of who they are. And here's why they do that. It's because a demon will come and say, you've always been a victim. You're a victim now and you're always gonna be a victim. And then they'll say, after all, don't you love all the attention you get from being a victim? But you know, let me tell you something about the victim spirit. It's kinda like having a wet diaper. Everybody else can smell it, but only you can feel the warmth. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So uh, it's an indicator of self-hatred. But the second one is self-humiliation. So have you ever known that person that just constantly cut themselves down? I'm not talking about people that are, you know, humbly not taking themselves too seriously, but I'm talking about the person that constantly cuts themselves down. And the head and the demon help in that, giving fuel to the fire. It's like, you're so ugly. You're so awful. And then they'll that what the demon will do is change it to the first person so that you think it's your thought in saying, I'm ugly. See how it works? Now, here's the next indicator of self-hatred, and that is the person that's self-focused, the person that always has to be the center of attention. Now, I'm not talking about people that just happen to have a charismatic personality and people are drawn to them, but I'm talking about that person that will, here's where they cross the line, they make every conversation about themselves to the neglect of other people. And so what the demon does is the demon tells the flesh, it's like, hey, here's how you can maneuver this conversation away from dealing with other people's stories and their needs. Here's how you can maneuver it around to make the conversation about you. Now, here's another indicator of self-hatred, and that is, the person that is competing and comparing all the time. It's like the guy in the New Testament, I think it's Luke chapter 18, where he was a Pharisee, a religious guy, and he says, I thank God I'm not like all these other sinners around here, especially that tax collector over there. See, the, the religious spirit, um, we're gonna get to here in just a minute, but this person has a re- religious spirit and is always comparing himself to other people. And if you ever known that person, it's like, hey, my annual revenue is just a little bit more at my company than what my friends is. Or you ever hear women do it? You know, um, I'm just a little bit thinner than she is. And what the demon will say is, she's thinner than you. We hate skinny girls, don't we? Um, Anybody ever hear that one? That one's almost true, right? But anyways, uh, you go to the next one, and the next one is too much talking or never talking. And the reason that's connected to, to the self-hatred spirit is because someone hates themselves. They're always trying to sell you on them by talking. They're trying to convince you and themselves that they're worth loving. Now, some people won't say anything. And that's still a self-hatred spirit because 
The demon says, you know, if you open your mouth right now, everyone's going to know just how stupid you are. You ever heard that one? Yeah, so then we go from talking to legalism, and this is the religious spirit here. And this is where the demon will tell you, you have to make up for the things you've done wrong. You have to redeem yourself. That's the heart of religion. Whereas the gospel says, no, Jesus has taken care of all my sins. He's covered me. I'm completely forgiven. And any of the good works I do now are just out of an overflow of my gratitude to Jesus for covering my sin on the cross. And see, the religious spirit, if, if you have a religious spirit, you're not going to like it here. In fact, you're going to hear me say stuff like, get the hell out, and you're going to go all religious spirit. I mean, you're not going to like it around here. Um, the religious spirit doesn't like spaces where the Holy Spirit is moving. And then the next one and the last one is going to be body abuse. Some people abuse their physical bodies through the way they eat. Some people have uh, abuse their physical bodies by the way they have sex. Other people will abuse their physical bodies by tattooing. Uh, we're not against tattoos here. There's nothing wrong with a tattoo. But if you've ever known someone, they hated themselves so much that they wanted to completely alter who they were um, with ink. And other people do it through cutting. You know, like I've dealt with some um, people who cut themselves and you'll see these little scars on them. And what the devil does is a demon will say, you know, you're so emotionally numb you need to cut yourself just to feel anything. And you have to punish yourself for what you've done wrong. You see how it works? And when those spirits come, we've got to say, no, you're not my voice. You're a voice. Get the hell out. That's what you got to tell them. So now, here's the end. The end game of the body abuse is that the demon wants you to destroy the temple of the Holy Spirit, your own body. Wants to give you suicidal ideation and get you to kill yourself. And they'll tell you stuff like, man, you know, nobody loves you. It's not worth living. Look at your track record here. You've screwed up so much. You may as well just end it. And I want to tell you, if you've come here in this room today, I need to take a time out and tell you that is not your voice. It's the voice of a demon. And there are people all around this room that love you and care about you and want you to be here. In fact, I want to demonstrate that. All the rest of us, I want you to raise your hands if you love people and want to tell them, do not take your life. Just raise your hand if you want to. Look around the room, and you can see all the people that care about you and do not want you to take your life. You can put your hands down now. And what we're saying together is... Look, you demon who's trying to destroy someone's body and life, suicidal spirit, we say you're a voice, you're not our voice, get the hell out. This is a place of life and life to the fullest. You follow me? And so let's go to the next one, number two. Embrace the theology of identity. And if you've been around here, you've heard us talk about this a lot. Basically, that's just not getting your identity from the culture or the internet, but it's reading the scriptures to see what Almighty God says about you, who you are, what your identity is, and living up to that identity. Now, I know a lot of Christians these days who they're trying to hear a mystical voice to learn about their identity, but you don't need a voice when you've got a verse. And I want to show you some verses that'll 
uh, speak to your value and identity. And the first one is going to be Matthew 10, 31, where Jesus says, so don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I wish he would have said a whole flock of seagulls, but he went with sparrows. But what, what I want you to know that you are more valuable than the animals or the physical creation. And if you go back to the creation story, I want you to put yourself in Adam's shoes for just a minute and imagine you're the first human being that's been created by God. And you think about Adam the first time that he woke up, that he was created, he's like, <gasps> you know, and he looks around and he sees God, the most amazing, beautiful of all the universe. And then God puts him back to sleep. And when he puts him to sleep again, he takes a rib out, creates the woman, Adam, and then Adam wakes up again, uh, uh, you know, he creates Eve, God creates Eve, and Adam wakes up for the second time, and he's like, <gasps> and he sees Eve there like a perfect, beautiful, naked woman, okay? He's like, God put me to sleep again, man, I wanna see what you do next, you know? But the creation in Genesis is actually a Hebrew poem with this rhythm and cadence to it. So if you read the story, it's a poem. It's like God created the light and the darkness. It was good. He created the sky and the water. It was good. God created the plants and the trees, and it was good. The fish and the animals, it was good. But look at how he breaks the cadence when he creates the humans. This is Genesis 1.31. It was what? Very good. Will you turn to someone next to you and tell them, you're very good. There's a couple of husbands out there that are like, that's right, honey, I'm very good. Don't you forget it. <laughs> Look at the next passage, it's Psalm 139, 14. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Do you know that you're wonderfully complex? Turn to someone next to you and tell them, you're wonderfully complex. <laughs> Some wives out there, that's right, I'm a deep well, honey. Don't go chasing waterfalls, right? <laughs> go to the next one, Isaiah 49, verse 14. The, the prophet's being facetious here. He says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. And then he puts his foot down. Never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child she is born? But even if that were possible, look at this next sentence. This is why God brought someone here today. I would not forget you. I've got your, hand, your name written on my hand. So turn to someone next to you and tell them God has not forgotten you. It's not forgotten you, no matter what you've done, where you've been, or what's happened to you, God has not forgotten you, forgotten you. Look at number three. Here's another way we get the hell out of our minds, and that is to rebuke the devil from your trauma. Rebuke the devil from that space of your trauma. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about to overcome the enemy, we have to repent, renounce evil, and rebuke the devil. It's like MMA. When you verbally rebuke demons in Jesus' name, it's like punching them in the head, you know, punching them in the face. It weakens them over time. So we rebuke them. And uh, what we have to understand about them is it's like they want to put the hell in. We're going to say through those thoughts, we're going to say, no, not my thought. Get the hell out is what we're going to say. Now, we've heard a lot of talks on identity, but you 
perhaps not broken down and looked at the strategies and the identity of our enemy. If we understand our enemy, we can understand how we can walk in our God-given identity. The name devil is, in the Greek language, diablo, and it means to throw at, and if you break down the word dia through, bolos, throw, to throw at or throw through in order to capture, injure, or kill. The second part of that word is taken from the name of an ancient weapon called a bola or bolos. You'll see in the next picture one of those ancient weapons. It's like these balls on the end of these strings that the guy would throw. Okay, they, uh, um, they put a picture of Gideon up there without his shirt on, you know, it's just like, but they throw and it tangles around your legs and it gets entangled around your legs. You can't move and it trips you up. So that's why uh, we can make sense of Hebrews 12.1 where the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, uh, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily, what? Entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So the devil is literally a thought caster, throwing thoughts into your mind to try and entangle you. A thought caster, like on Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, these are not the droids you're looking for. See, see how you say? And that's what the devil does to you. And if you're weak-minded, you fall for those Jedi mind tricks. Um, and here's where the demon comes, is in the moment of your trauma. As much as I hate to remind you of your trauma, and as, you know, I, and as soon as I mention it, I know your mind goes to that time, one of the most traumatic times of your life. But when, that, when you went through trauma, that's when the demon is the most active, wanting to lodge a lie into your brain that'll map your brain in the ways of evil to harm you for the rest of your life. And it didn't fare what happened to you. I know that. Um, that being said, I would agree with pastor and author Dave Bryan. He says, just because it wasn't your fault doesn't mean it's not your problem. And isn't that the truth? It wasn't fair. It wasn't your fault. But you still have to deal with it. We see this taking place in Psalm 18, verse 17. Go with me to that passage. It says, he rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. And so as you think back to that time when you were abused or when violence was done to you or when you felt rejected or harmed in some way, when you were disillusioned, perhaps it was some form of church hurt and the demon was there in that moment speaking lies, throwing the bola at your brain saying, you know, it's because you're just not very lovable and you know you always screw up and God doesn't really work, does he? Because look where you're at right now. Because if God really cared about you, you wouldn't be going through this right now. You see how they come in the moments of our distress, trauma, and vulnerability. And when they come with those thoughts, we have to say, you're a voice. I'm going to rebuke the spook. You can get the hell out. Get the hell out. Now look at number four. We embrace identity 
with humility. And this one's very, very important, and here's why. Because when we start talking about your identity, we love that part, don't we? Because it's all this encouraging stuff about us. You know, hey, we're a masterpiece, you know, we're a great work of God, all this. Um, And the reason that we love that part of the teaching is because we're Americans and we've been raised on self-esteem culture to feel good about ourselves and love ourselves and believe that we can do anything. But here's where the self-esteem movement goes wrong. Is self-esteem says, I'm going to love myself, but skips the first step before you get to loving yourself. Go back to Matthew with me just for a minute. 2236, the text we already read. What's the first step? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Then you get to the second part where it's you love your neighbor as yourself. But what we want to do is we want to start with loving ourselves, And then if I got any energy left, I'll love other people. And then maybe if I have a little time left over, I'll give God my leftovers. No, doesn't work that way. We love God first as the highest priority, and it shapes our values and the way that we can um, best love other people and serve them, and then we love ourselves. Is that making sense to anyone? Um, And I get concerned with this identity in Christ teaching being mixed up and convoluted by self-esteem culture. I don't want a good self-esteem. I want a Christ-esteem. You follow me? And some of you just heard that for the first time, and it, and it like, and it, it butts up against what you've always been told your whole life. And I'm here to tell you, what you've been told your whole life isn't working. This is something that works. We want to crucify ourselves, our, ourselves, our flesh. See, go with me to Galatians chapter two, verse twenty. Paul says, "I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live." But Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. But here's what the demon will do. The demon will say, no, you've got to put your preferences first. You do you. You have to put your preferences and your will first. And you know what that is? It'll, it, it exposes you to what's called the spirit of Philema. Philema is the spirit of iniquity. People worship Philema all over the world. There is a temple to Philema in the Bay Area. It's out near Oakland. There are ones in almost every major city in the United States. And Philema was a satanic spirituality popularized by Aleister Crowley who was the son of a pastor, but he went rogue. He turned to the dark side. He started worshiping Satan, and he renamed himself the Beast 666. He's a Luciferian who shaped much of the Satanism that we see in our country uh, these days. He was a pop culture icon, uh, especially after the Beatles put a picture of him on the cover of their Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band um, album cover, and then Jimmy Page, the lead guitar player for Led Zeppelin, actually bought the mansion of Aleister Crowley um, near Loch Ness in Scotland. I wonder if they ever saw Nessie there. But anyways, Thelema just means like will. It's about me accomplishing my will. That's why Aleister Crowley said, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. In other words, you do what you want to do. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I showed you a picture of Jay-Z in his hoodie, and he was wearing a hoodie that had that slogan on the front that's taken straight from a Luciferian Aleister Crowley, 
do as thou wilt. That is the philosophy of Thelema. And I want to show you how Jesus defeated Thelema in the Garden of Gethsemane before he would go to the cross. He was praying with such intensity that blood was literally coming from his pores. And we see his prayer in Luke twenty-two forty-two: Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And see, Thelema and the demon is gonna say, nope, you put your preferences above others. Thelema is gonna say what Satan said in Paradise Lost, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. And a lot of people say, my will for my life is doing pretty good. I don't think I need God. Because your, your Instagram, you got lots of followers and it looks pretty good. You know, your, your personal brand is doing pretty good. You've got a good company. You've got good annual revenues, you know. It's going pretty well. You don't need God. So your house looks like an HEDV house, you know, super stylish with all the latest hardware on your cabinets and your Tinder account. No one ever swipes right on you. They always want to date you. See, it's all going so, so well doing your will. And you know, God doesn't mind that you're doing well. He wants us to do well. There's nothing wrong with that. But he doesn't want us to do well to the neglect of his will. You see, it's God's will first and then ours later on. And what you'll find out is that you and I will glorify God one way or the other. We can glorify God to our benefit, or we can glorify God to our own expense. Look back at the Exodus story. There were two primary characters in that story. Moses, who submitted his life to God and said, God, your will be done, and Pharaoh. Pharaoh thought he was a god, and everything was going great for Pharaoh. He had a palatial palace. People thought he was a god. He had whatever he wanted. He was one of the most powerful people in the world at that time. But when God said, let my people go, Pharaoh says no. And God did many plagues on Pharaoh and the Egyptians to show them that he is the most high God. And Pharaoh constantly hardened his heart towards God. What happened? He crossed the line. And it went from Pharaoh hardening his own heart to God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Go with me to Exodus Chapter 14, verse 17, God says, yet I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they will follow the Israelites into the sea. Then I will receive great glory at the expense of Pharaoh and his armies, chariots and charioteers. When I'm finished with Pharaoh and his army, all Egypt will know that I am the Lord. When you submit your life to the will of God, it is to your benefit and it reshapes every facet of your life. And so when you're a kid in school, you don't just get grades to make yourself look smarter and say it's all about me, but it's like, no, you're learning so that you'll learn some skills and know how to serve humanity to the glory of God. And your dating life is no longer about how I can get my needs met but it's about how can I partner with another human being that I love to serve humanity, to bring glory to God, that people would know that 
the most high is God. And your career is no longer just about making money or going into corporate cubicle world and filling out your TPS reports and all of that, but it's about bringing products, goods, and services that serve people and help them enhance their lives so that they see the way you serve them through that job and give glory to God and know that the Most High is God. Um, When you think about how big God is, it makes his opinion more credible. Like, a lot of people think, like, God doesn't, he just doesn't know. No, God knows. And God, when God says you're valuable, that you're a masterpiece, that you're wonderfully complex and all of that, he's right about that, you know? Have you ever considered how big he is and how wise he is? You know, he knows more than the internet. You know that, right? He knows more than chat GPT. He, he really does. Um, and and I, I remember the first time that I ever saw one of the Rocky Mountains. Have you ever seen the Anybody seen the Rocky Mountains? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? And I'd just seen the little hills around here. And I remember driving into Colorado, and I'm like, Jeannie, we got to stop the car because I just got to get out and soak this in. And I get out, and I'm like, whoa. And in that moment, when I'm looking at the grandeur of the Rocky Mountains, do you think I'm thinking about how smart and awesome I am? (laughs) Not on your life. I'm like, that is amazing. And, and, And look. When you stand before Almighty God, you're not gonna be thinking how smart you are, how pretty you are, how cool you are, how strong and buff you are. You're gonna be amazed by him. And when he says that you're valuable, you say, I believe I'm valuable because he says so. Right on? Now look, some years ago, I was assisting and doing some counseling with a woman who had the self-hate spirit. And she was dealing with demons that would manifest. And she had uh, what's called MPD or multiple personality disorder. So it wasn't like a demon that would manifest. It would just be the way God wired us to have another compartment to deal with traumatic experiences in our life. Um, She had been abused repeatedly sexually and physically in ways that I'm not gonna tell you because I don't wanna ruin your day. And after, you know, know, we we worked with her for some time, she she got better. And after a year, after we'd been working with her, I emailed her just to kind of see how she's doing, you know, and and ask her how the self-hatred spirit had affected her and, and all of that. And she sent me an email back, and I'm gonna read to you some of the things that she told me in that email, with her permission, of course. She said, self-hatred really took root because of the abuse of my parents. My parents told me I was a worthless piece of trash. The lie and demon took root. I was told over and over again, you're a worthless piece of trash. And if you'd asked me at 16 who I was, I would have said, I'm a worthless piece of trash. And then she said this continued into her adulthood. And she engaged in self-harming activities and behaviors. She said, I burned myself, I allowed others to hurt me, and ultimately attempted suicide. Thank the Lord she was not successful. And she says, then I learned 
to trade the lie for the truth. She traded worthless piece of trash for fearfully and wonderfully made. And here's what she put in all caps in the email. The devil had to go. God removed the self-hatred, self-harming, and even the suicidal tendencies. So see, this friend learned to say, get the hell out of my mind, see? So I figured today, whether you've gone through, you know, what the world would call a big self-hatred problem or a small one at whatever level, would you guys like to get some of the hell out of our brains today? And so I, I brought some declarations and we're gonna put them on screen. And I'm gonna read them slowly. And if you'd like to do this, I want you to speak these out loud with me. You ready? Whether you've felt bad about your love handles or you've been abused in awful ways. Can we say these together out loud as our declaration? Here we go. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, as an act of my free will, I confess self-hatred. I repent of self-hatred. I renounce self-hatred. I choose to forgive myself. I release myself from guilt and shame. In the name of Jesus and the power of his blood, I rebuke Satan's authority over me. I command self-hatred to go. Demons, get the hell out. Jesus Christ is God. He came in the flesh and died on the cross. Three days later, rose from the grave. He now sits at the right hand of God the Father. This Jesus is my Lord and Savior and Master. Demons, get the hell out. Jesus, put the heaven in. Holy Spirit, I invite you to heal my heart. I'm not trash, I'm a treasure. Holy Spirit, use me to heal others. All glory to Jesus. Anyone wanna thank the Lord for what he's doing in our hearts right now? Yeah. So if you would, let me pray over us for just a minute, and I hope it's helpful. Lord Jesus, I wanna pray that you set captives free today from self-hatred, and you foul spirits, you've heard the declarations of my friends here. You no longer have right to them. You may not make them feel rejected. You may not try and destroy their bodies. You may not try and destroy their thoughts, bring false identity on them. You must go with all your works and effects. Get the hell out now in Jesus' name. We rebuke you in Jesus' name. You have no right to these people. You must go with all your works and effects and all your collective associates, and you may not come back upon them or other people in this room, their families, their properties, their vehicles, or their pets. You must go to where Jesus sends you right now because this is a place of life and freedom in the Holy Spirit of God. May the Lord rebuke you. May the Lord rebuke you from these people in this place. Holy Spirit of the living God, we welcome you to speak healing in our hearts. And so for just a moment, let's be still. Be quiet, still, and listen 
for a word or a picture or a thought that comes from God. Listen for the gentle voice that he wants to speak in your heart and mind as we're quiet just for a moment. As you inhale, inhale the presence of the Holy Spirit of God and exhale the negativity of the lies and the demons. And as you're sitting still, God, by his gentle Holy Spirit, is healing you. And he's saying to you, my daughter, my son, I know what made you feel unlovely and I, I saw what happened to you. And I want you to know that you're precious to me. And that's all changing. And a day is coming where no one will be able to harm you at all. You're under the protection of my wings. I'm giving you new scripts to live by. Courageous man of God. Beautiful, loved daughter. And as you're sitting still receiving from the Holy Spirit right now, the voice in your head right now that's God, it feels so much like love. It's the purest love. He is love, the Bible says. And he really is crazy about you. He says he never damages the bruised reed. He never damages those of us that are hurting. And he never snuffs out the flickering candle. And as you felt like you're at the end of your rope... He lights that fire to burn all the brighter so that you can continue the walk. And the snakes of shame are being obliterated so that you can move forward in your journey with him. And all those things are going to be in your rearview mirror. But your windshield is hope. Thank you, Jesus for the ways that you're healing people in all these services today. And we give you the credit and the glory and honor. May everyone know 
that the most high is God. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone says, amen. Amen. Yeah, thank the Lord for what he's done for us today. Amen. Man, I understand it. But I'll just tell you this, that as I've watched you guys all weekend, you know, at these services and this one, and I can see some of the tears and some of the things that are, I know are sensitive in nature. I just want you to know as your pastor, I'm just a guy, you know, I'm not a big deal, but I do love you. And I thank the Lord that I get the privilege of being your pastor here and, and talking to you about, you know, the things of God. And as we wrap up today, just a couple of things I'll remind you about is that our prayer leaders are going to be down front and they're super awesome, compassionate people that are listening for the Lord and they would love the opportunity to pray with you. So if you'd need prayer, by all means, take advantage of that. Next week, we're going to learn a weapon, how to win the war. It's entitled Winning the War. So make sure and come on back for that. Um, I'll give you a reminder of what Pris told you earlier. When you came in today, you got a list of the stuff that the Motorcycle Tribe needs in order to uh, take some Thanksgiving meals to some folks around town. What better way to say that the Lord is God than to bring some stuff next Sunday during services, not during the week, not after services, not before services, during service. We'll have a table uh, for you to bring all that stuff for the motorcycle trip. I keep threatening the motorcycle guys that I'm going to ride my moped with them someday, just, you know, find some leather pants on Amazon or something, you know. <laughs> Anyways, that should be a lot of fun. And then uh, the way we fund this church is through our tithes and offerings. And so if you're new, obviously, you know, we're not trying to, you know, pump you for your money or anything like that. But those of us who follow Jesus want to invest in the stuff that he cares about here. There are four ways to get that done. We'll put them on screen for you. That'd be helpful for you. So anyways, before you guys worship through your generosity, let's stand together. And if you're comfortable to, join hands with the brothers and sisters next to you. And I want to speak a word of benediction over you if you'd receive it. Dear brothers and sisters, walk from here knowing that you're a poem, you're a masterpiece, you're wonderfully complex, and God has not forgotten you. Go from here when the demons try and speak evil to you and tell them you must get the hell out. And go from here letting the heaven in and loving people in such a way that you extract the hell out of them. And so today, you guys get out of here and go love the hell out of people. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.